Okay, so good morning, everybody. I've got Winston here with me. Uh, this is my good friend and a friend I've known for quite a long time now. Um, in fact, I'm very, very interested to share his story because um, there were a lot of things that I never knew about him back in the day. And uh, today I see that he's doing a lot more awesome things that uh, I'm also trying to find out a bit more, which I want to share with everybody. Once again, uh, you are on the Richest on Earth podcast. Uh, basically, this is the podcast about the ways and means that people find and unleash their true happiness. And uh, for them to find their true north, ultimately the objective of this is because I want you to wake up happy every single day. And I'm trying to find stories from people I know and stories from people I find inspiring so that I can share with you. So Winston, I just want to ask you to introduce yourself, share a bit about yourself, candidly and professionally. Um, thanks, Jeremy, for having me on the show. Uh, really glad to, to reconnect back uh, after so many years. Um, so professionally, I'm a uh, psychotherapist in private practice. Uh, come a long way to where I am today. But, uh, and um, yeah, so, so I think um, I'll, I'll just take Jer Jeremy's lead and, um, and as we go along, I will share more about what I do. But I guess... Um, at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do in my, my, my I wouldn't say my job, but uh, um, my profession is really to help people to, um, to treat, help people to feel better about themselves and to lead healthier lives, not just uh, physically, emotionally, and also spiritually as well. Yeah. All right. So, um, sorry, a bit occupational hazard. Everybody knows I'm a headhunter. I just want to share a bit more and ask a bit more about your career progression, how everything has shaped your life. So, when I knew you, you were in the police special forces. How long was that? What were you doing? Um, how exciting was it? And, and what made you decide to do that, actually? Um, actually, it was by, by chance, uh, Jeremy. So, so, actually, I started off... Um, in fact, I think there were some parts that maybe, uh, maybe you don't know. So I actually was a major in the fine arts. I was actually a fine arts student from LaSalle. I spent three years in college. Uh, and it was very clear then after my um, O-levels was to become an art teacher. So it was very clear. So my track was kind of like planned towards uh, becoming a trained artist and then eventually I'll become an art teacher. But that didn't work out. All right, so... Um, after my national service, uh, which I did in the special special ops, police special ops, and then um, I went to try teaching. Then I realized I enjoy teaching, but I don't enjoy the other aspects of teaching. So I really enjoy uh, the contact with the students, but I don't enjoy the other aspects of teaching. So nothing against uh, that, that profession, but I guess I felt that, you know, I, I really do... One, that contact with students, you know, really helping them to mentor them, uh, working them through their difficulties. So maybe teaching was not my cup of tea back then. So then I decided the next uh, best choice was to then um, to join the police force because I had a pleasant experience. I enjoyed that aspect of policing where, um, you know, you deal with um, very complex cases, you deal with public order, you deal with public security, like counter-terrorism, hostage situations and all. And, uh, and you know, back then I was, was relatively fit, uh, fitter than, and then, uh, you know, so it really, it, it, I really enjoyed that, you know, so you train, you train for, you know, uh, you know, they say, right, um, 
train hard so that you can fight easy, right? You train hard so that you can fight easy. So, uh, so that was where I, I, I was, you know, so I found myself serving about um, five of year, over years in the police force, but um, had a very good pro- career progression. And I think I, I worked very, very hard. Um, my last posting was a operations op- officer in my unit where I planned for deployments, you know, I, I, I get in touch with the headquarters and when they want resources from my unit, you know, uh, I, I'm like the link guy. So in terms of career progression-wise, um, I was given a, a very good track. You know, in fact, um, I had contemplated going to, to another unit, another special uh, specialist unit where it was the bodyguard unit and they also offered me, you know, to go over. Uh, but I stayed on with uh, the special ops. Um, but I guess while I was in, in, in the force, there was always this um, feeling of there's something more. There's something more out there, right? There's always something more out there. And, 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 and I think this is something that uh, after so many years, it continues to be something that I listen to. You know, so we all have sometimes the inner voice that says, "There is something there. Um, is this for you? Maybe this really is for you." You know, so the inner voice. So I guess it was always there. And um, while I was in the, the the police force, I I I decided that I wanted to to better myself. So I continued my studies, and uh, I was studying something that was non related to security to uh, terrorism, to, uh, counter-terrorism, to, to anything to do with... Uh, so I majored in, in counselling, right? Uh, counselling and psychology. And that was really something that was deep down in my heart, something that I felt that I wanted to do. Yeah. So after spending five over years in the, the police force, which was under the Ministry of Home Affairs, um, in fact, someone from a public hospital um, and I was, I was kind of like hate-hunted to go over where this person came, offered me a place uh, in the hospital to, to do um, uh, to do stuff for his department, right? Planning and, and, and um, uh, working, running campaigns and all. But deep down inside, I felt that it was an opportunity for me to, to make a switch. And uh, uh, because... T- for me, it was something that I wanted to work with was, you know, to be really to touch lives, to work with people and using the skills that I've acquired through my studies, my training and, and, and in this case, to be able to apply. So, it came at a time where career in the police force was going very well. I was um, groomed to, to take up bigger roles and, um, of course, for, for promotion and all. So, I gave that all up, gave that all up and I took a pay cut and I went into an industry that I had zero knowledge. So it was a total switch of industry. But then again, you know, human beings, if you don't put yourself at the edge of the cliff, you never know, right, Jeremy? So you never know. And it was what I did. And of course, when I was in police force, there were um, situations where there were more push factors. Like, you know, you found yourself in a place where you're talking to people and they were saying things like, you know, you should have studied harder. Right. So it's your fault. You didn't study hard enough. This is why you're here. You know, or you, you, you meet people who are uh, in the civil service, right? The scholars, 
and uh, they think they are at a different level and they do things very differently. So I didn't like that micromanage or that top-down approach because when you talk down to someone, you don't see that person as a fellow human being. So where I was, I was exposed you know, to a lot of this where you know, you're dealing with key officers from, from HQ, key officers from, the, from, from, you know, from, from, from everywhere, from other units and all. And I thought, I don't really think this is what I wanted. So when the opportunity came for me to make a switch, took the pay cut, and I just put myself at the edge of the cliff. Lah. Yeah, I went, went over. Yeah. So when you left the force, what were you? Like staff sergeant? Um... I was a staff sergeant when I left. Staff yeah. sergeant. But, and then, uh, just out of curiosity, I think because my listeners will be quite young, between age 25, 35, um, I think everybody will be curious. So when you say special ops, is it top of the game, special ops, like they really, you guys really do a lot of confidential stuff? Uh, you guys get yes, to so, play with the most yeah. latest weapons and all? Or is it very uh, boring? Yes, so, the, uh, so it was more interesting. So if you, you do, if you go and play Modern Warfare and Counter-Strike, so a lot of those stuff, lah, right? Wow. So a lot of those stuff where you, you really do have to train within, uh, you're trained to go into to close quarter combats and all, but a lot of things that I can't share because it's confidential. Yes. yes. Yeah. So so at, at that kind of level, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, because and, and what you and, yeah, we, and what you see have... in in you go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and what you see in, in in Hong Kong riots as well as the the public order the the the, the they have this a police tactical unit, right? Where they deal with uh, riots. So 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 those are some things also that. Uh, uh, that I had to was part of my job scope lah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The the thing I'm asking is because a lot of us guys we've been in national service, and it's a it's a thing that you just mentioned like the cliff. We always train hard, hoping that we can see something, but uh, if something happens, we are all scared to go out as well. We don't know whether we are willing to risk our lives because we might feel that all oh, this national service or or we are not regulars. These guys are regulars. The regulars should go first. So, mm. you have you ever seen a real situation, been in there, and then you ever question yourself, why am I doing this? Uh, there were a few times, yeah, a few times. Um, but um, really, thinking back, it was, I wouldn't say fun, but you know, when the adrenaline rush comes, it's, uh, you know that, okay, you are, the reason why you train so hard is for this right now, you know, this particular incident. And I think, uh, I think whatever um, training there is or what's required out there of, of uh, people in this line, I think it's necessary. Uh, and to me, it was a really a privilege where this, the skills I learned um, under intense situation, risk and stress, it also carries me, it helps me with, with uh, uh, my personal life or rather in my professional life now. Yeah. Wow, because something I couldn't ever understand is like some of the calmest looking guys, like when I knew you, you always look very calm, but I never knew you've been through such situations. I've had friends who've been on deployments in uh, peacekeeping missions and uh, they are seeing live rounds flying around every single day. But when I look mm. at them, they're just very calm because they say that they're complete opposite. When they see a calm situation, they're thankful, they're grateful because they've seen much worse than us. Uh, but yeah, when I see you, I always thought you're very calm. I thought you've probably never seen anything. It's just everything is just a, it's just a daily job. You hide in the office, but actually, 
you guys are really on the floor, on the ground, seeing stuff that we don't see and we don't hear of. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. So, how does that carry on to this role that you are currently playing? So, moving on from a high intense, high adrenaline kind of a environment, um, shifting towards starting to have to listen more to people, giving advice, giving advice that is uh, ger- generic, not regimented. How, how has it changed you? And what encouraged that change? Um, so the part of you know always wanting to to help help people or to to you know um, <clears throat> um, allow people to find solutions for themselves in their lives was something that grew you know as um, as I progressed in, in in life and and again that the, the inner voice of what I wanted to do became more clear and, and it was that really to to help people to take people. Um, not to solve the problems for them, but I think really in, in, in therapy work, in counseling and psychotherapy work, is really to help the individuals to find options, right? So, so when, when, when I teach, when I teach um, people who are training to become uh, psychologists or counselors, and I, give the, I will give them this example where you can give people a fish, all right, when they're hungry. So this is like giving them a piece of advice. But you see, the thing is, they will not be empowered to solve their issues. So the best way is to teach them how to fish. So when you help people through uh, their issues, their problems, you help them see options, and uh, you empower them to make informed choices and decisions. And I think that is more powerful. Yeah. I see. So for me, it was really listening to the inner voice. And with the inner voice, it... it, it, it it guided me to where I wanted to do. So it was very clear now. Like, you know, okay, I think I want to help people. And in order for me to help people, what do I need? Those are qualifications, what kind of industries do I need to get myself into? So I guess that transition to, um, to the public health care, to the hospital, was the training ground. And it really prepared me because when I was in hospital, I was specifically working with uh, cancer patients. And every day you're dealing with life and death issues. So to me, it's, you know, I see people who walk into the clinic, they're very poor to the very rich, to people who can really pay, but they all come in with the same issues. I need to get my cancer treated. So a disease, Jeremy, or an illness, all right, does not pick. All right, the rich or the poor will fall sick. So when you're at a place, when you're facing death, sometimes you question about life. Lah. Yeah. So to me, um, in, in my experience at the hospital, spent another about four over years, right? I've had the chance to journey with clients or rather with patients uh, who have since passed on, right? Because of the cancer. But looking back, it was... A, a privilege in order to be able to have journey with them and of course with with those um, different patients I've also learned different stories uh, through their sharing as well yeah wow so I mean this this hard to accept because um, you are like me or someone who's trying to help people 
but you are in a situation where no matter how much medicine, how much money, how much technology, they couldn't be saved. How do you feel about that? Does it hurt you a lot? Uh, how do you overcome that, that trauma? It's still trauma to you because you knew the guy or the lady and you spoke to them and you spent a significant amount of time with them and then you lose them. Um, I guess I've, I've come to realize that uh, we, we cannot play God. You know, but but in, in, in my line of work, right? Um, in my line of work, we, we, we have this thing called unfinished business, right? And unfinished business means in all our lives, right? Are there things that we have not sorted? We have not gone on to sort out. Is there something, is there a broken relationship? Is there a uh, something that I want to do that I've never had a chance to do an unfinished business? And, and every one of us may or may have or, or will have that, right? So when I work with people who are uh, dying, I guess the, the important thing to them is some know, some, are, some were still in denial, but if I could journey with them and help them to see that what is the unfinished business. So to me, um, it was good enough. All right. It's never easy to see someone um, die. But I guess through that journey with them, you are also bringing closure, uh, helping to bring closure, not just to the patients, but also to the family members as well. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can't play God. You know, sometimes when someone passed away, um, grief is a very complicated thing. You know, grief is very complicated. Right. So, um, I guess in my line of work, I've learned, and, and this is important, not to be overly attached. You can only do so much. Right? You can only do so much. But there's always that equation where um, you can't play God. You know, uh, nature or, or God has to has to has to come in. Uh. Yeah. Well, so I think for my listeners who want to do a job similar to what Winston is doing, you probably have to think about whether you are able to cope with such. Because even for me, um, I've ever had to deal with a family um, tragedy a couple of years back. It was hard. And that's just one. I cannot deal with many. So probably you have to ask yourself whether you can do uh, this role that Winston is doing and whether it might fit with you for your internal health as well, your mental health. Um, I wanted to just fast, fast forward to 2013 when you started Cherish Life Works, um, worked on a psychotherapist work and um, I think some Bowen therapy as well. Tell me, how do you fall into that? How do you start? Um, yeah, just tell me about the whole story about the whole beginning. Um, yeah, so, so again, working in a a public hospital has its challenges as well, right? Um, there were... Um, so I wouldn't see myself as a rebel. So sometimes I joke uh, that uh, I, I can't go into full-time employment now because I, I tend to be very disagreeable with people. Mm-hmm. Or right, I will have <laughs> clashes with, with my superiors or, or people that I need to report to. But, but that's a, a joke. Uh. But I guess um, after spending that, that time in the, the hospital, there were also questions or things that I felt that uh, could have been done better. And I think in terms of professionally, um, I wanted to do more, right? I wanted to 
offer my, my, my expertise to more. So rather than just working with cancer patients, but I think I wanted to work also with children, with young people, and also with uh, uh, working professionals who are in a place where they're questioning about work, family life, personal life, you know, where to, you know, in terms. And, and, and sometimes we do um, come to a place where we may face that existential crisis, and we call it existential, right? Existential means we question our existence in this world, all right? And it's not midlife crisis, right? Some people may say, well, I was a 50-year-old man buying that Porsche. <laughs> so yes, midlife crisis. But I think we will also face that when we're earlier, when we we're younger. Because you question, I don't like my job, but why am I still in this job, right? So in 2013, um, that, 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 uh, that decision to say, why don't I start my own practice came up. So I actually started a company, but it took me about only uh, about a year later to really go into uh, the, the full plunge, you know, the, uh, starting the full operations. So when, when, when Carrie's Life was, was formed, it was really with the intention to offer um, counseling and psychotherapy services um, to uh, people that may not be able to afford it or people that felt that um, they did not benefit for it. So I want to do my best you know, in it to, 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 to reach out to many people as much as possible. Um, but Bowen therapy, which is a form of physical treatment, only came in much later. I came in around 2000 and or rather I introduced uh, this treatment only in about 2017, I think. But it was more of a uh, kind of physical treatment uh, because I had a, a lot of sports injuries that couldn't be fixed and I came across this treatment and then I realized that uh, this could be something that I could bring into my practice and to marry the, the, the not just the emotional or the mental well-being but then also bring in some uh, physical treatment where you can treat the individual um, for the mind, body, and soul. So you find that now in terms of health, and uh, World Health Organization will say, what is health? Health is when someone is not just physically healthy, but also mentally healthy. So to me now, in terms of my mission, is to treat an individual from a holistic angle. Okay, so just to share with uh, the listeners uh, a bit more about what Winston is saying that he helps you with your mental health uh, issues that you might have that he can have a chat with you about, helping you try and identify, helping you try and work around. And he also helps you with um, physical issues that you might have such as lower back pain, uh, neck aches. Uh, a lot of them, I would say, are tension caused by physical and also possibly uh, mental stress. So when you tend to have a lot of mental stress and you have low confidence, you tend to be hunched over, which causes a lot of pain in your neck, a lot of strains and uh, knots in your muscles, at, in your shoulders. And all these are solved through um, his mental and physical treatment methods. I would say I would also put in more links about Winston's business and uh, Winston's uh, consultancy on my podcast, but I want to move a, a bit more to discovering a bit more about Winston so you can understand a bit more about how people change, how people evolve. So I want to ask you if you could just remember and just recall, I want to ask you what were you like when you were between the ages of 10 to 20? 
what would you like? Just describe yourself. If I met you in school and uh, we were buddies between 10 or 20, what would <coughs> you like? Do you know what you were doing? I was just chasing the football everywhere I go. <laughs> but but I, I, I think it was more of a... Uh, I, growing up, I had a lot of uh, space in terms of my mother really gave us a lot of time for creativity. Right? And I think that really helped because I grew up in a space where I was not fantastic in studies, uh, slow, or rather late bloomer, late bloomer, right? Late bloomer, but um, um, had a lot of space to discover and, and I think creativity helped. So I was, I was carefree, but at the same time, I guess when I was growing up, um, I could be misunderstood as someone who was more emotional. Yeah, who was more emotional. So creativity helped me to, to grow as a person. But when I came into uh, the work of counseling and psychology, it helped me to develop as a person. Right? So it helped me to, to grow inside. So I think we can grow. Right? We all grow old, right? In, uh, uh, but the thing is, um, inside all of us, there is also a process where we have to find growth. So that's why people now are chasing after um, life coaching. They're chasing after um, going to somewhere or something that brings them to the next level, better myself. But you see, the thing is, it's a process. Right? It's a process. And for me, from 10 to 20, I guess um, I had a lot of that. All right? I had a lot of that. I had a, uh, an environment where it really encouraged me to, to explore and encouraged me to uh, be who I am. I, I, I guess, thinking back, I played quite a bit. I huh? played a lot. Um, but um, it was helpful. Huh? It was helpful, helpful for me. Yeah. I realize, I mean, a lot of people who know what they are doing today or are happy with what they're doing today tend to have had some form of freedom, a lot less regimentation when they were young. So I think in psychology, between the age of one to eight, if your parents are very, very strict, growing up between the age after eight, you will come quite a strict child you'll be very conservative everything you'll be scared of but if your parents give you a lot of freedom you tend to be more self-fulfilled or you tend to be more determined to know your direction i, I mean this is just a study i've i've had because i've done this for 10 years i probably interviewed thousands and thousands of people um one common fact i find is that people who had a lot of freedom tend to know a lot about themselves people who don't have a lot of freedom tend to be following a norm that means they tend to be in good jobs they went to good schools they had first class honours and all but they seem to be the most unfulfilled people yeah and I guess looking back uh, um, because not not being very um, inclined towards studies at a young age um, I do see failure very 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 often but looking back I think it was what really helped because when you are when you fail, then you know what it's like, right? To be like, oh, okay, I'm right at the bottom. But then when you encounter success, right, it takes you to the next level. So this is what it feels like to be down and this is what it feels like to be really up there. But if let's say you're someone who has everything all planned out for you, you have never seen failure in your life, when it hits, it brings you to the deepest depths all right. And sometimes people never recover from that. So to me, is 
well, in life, failure, all right, is something that, uh, not that we look for, but when it comes, I think, um, take it with a, a, a open arms because um, I think it is a, a first step to something better for each and every one of us. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I'm very, very sure what you mentioned to me is uh, very true because i give you an example. I was the same as you. I failed so many times in school. I was never good. Um, but it made me accept failure a lot more. So in my line of work as a headhunter, I speak to a lot of people who had smooth sailing education, smooth sailing careers. Family was well-to-do. They never had a struggle to buy the latest Xbox or PlayStation. Um, but they can never accept retrenchment. They can never accept uh, a pay cut. Pay cut of $100 for something bigger. Oh no, it's not acceptable. I was trained mm. to believe that um, I would never shortchange myself because I'm better than the rest. So that kind of mentality was kind of hard for me to accept because uh, these people just won't budge and they believe that the government owes them a job, the government owes them the benefits because they work hard through their lives, their parents gave it everything for our economy, which I can't agree with. And it's a, it's a different philosophy altogether, I would say. Mm, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, then let's transition a bit more. So tell me a bit more, what were you like between the age of 20 to 30 when um, you shifted out of the age of 20, just getting into NS? Um, what was your personality like? What was your mentality like? Um, so NS, in terms of when I was doing my NS, I guess I had a more um, disciplined outlook in terms of I, I saw things where I needed to be the best, all right? But not a perfectionist, but I just needed to be best as much as possible. And um, I carried that, that work ethic with me even when the, after NS. And I think it served me uh, very well. It served me uh, for, for many, many, many years, even, even to now. And, and, and in terms of trying to run your own practice, your own business, it has to be there. Lah. But to me, um, that, that, that stage from, from NS and transition to my first job, I guess um, a lot of discipline uh, laid the, the groundwork for me. In their sense, yeah. Okay, and was there maybe at this point of time was there any biggest regret that you've ever had so far? Biggest regret in terms of my career is that is that the question? Uh, in terms of your career and in terms of anything and everything, so that listeners can understand, because sometimes our biggest regret to other people might be a very big thing or to them they might just think they might just think wow Winston's regret is so small my regret is so much bigger maybe I can do mm. something better about myself I guess sometimes I think about this my, my biggest regret is that uh, um, I don't have that opportunity to be able to to because my mom passed away last year so and it was I wouldn't say it was sudden, but uh, she was sick for about a year. But to me, it was something I was not prepared for. So um, when she she was diagnosed with the, the condition, um, in my capacity and trying to uh, 
health background, right? Trying to read, asking the doctors a lot of questions, going to research papers, understanding about the disease. I thought I had more time with her. So when she passed away last year, it was uh, uh, quite sudden and quite unfortunate. And um, my regret would be, I don't think she would be able to, to see, you know, or enjoy um, um, or rather to, 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 to make her life more comfortable. So, so again, growing up, uh, my mom gave us a lot of space to, to, to explore, to, to do what we want. And I really appreciated that. Uh, but she also worked very hard. So I came from a family where um, um, my dad was never around, so an absent father, uh, which was tough. Uh, but I had a very present mother. So she was working very hard. But at the same time, she was making sure that we had the best of everything. So we are not from a rich family. And I remember when I was in college, I was going to graduate. And my mom actually came to me and she said, uh, um, that's before I graduate, she said, you know, I really hope you graduate because in terms of money to support your education, there's so much that I can do. And... uh, after your college, you're on your own. So for me, um, and I, I guess that, that, that also helped me to realign my focus in life. So when I was in my first job, my focus was, I'm here because I'm going to use my salary to pay off my studies. So I have colleagues who will come to me and say, hey, you know, uh, Winston, what is the, the car you want to buy? I said, no, I'm not here to buy a car, right? Because I'm here uh, for a different reason. Yes. I'm here for a different reason. And coming back to the question about my biggest regret is that I don't, I guess the regret is my mom is not able to see how much I've come so far in terms of uh, where I am or in terms of how I've from day one uh, decided to to have my own practice. I guess it's still a long way to go but I think um, I won't get the opportunity to to you know, to just make life more comfortable for her, lah. So that would be the biggest regret that I have in my life. I understand. I think being present is really hard as a parent. I mean, I'm a parent. I work very hard, um, and I do struggle in that being present part. I would say, like, uh, I have to force myself mentally to not touch my handphone when I'm talking to my kid because I'm checking my emails, checking my WhatsApp. Um, so you say your mom worked very hard yet she's still present she wasn't like not being able to give you the emotional support the physical support the mental encouragement that's amazing and um, yeah I think for everybody who has their family around um, we probably have to schedule time to actually be there with them and um, yeah I, I, I know what you mean because journey is long and then we don't know when our journey might become good but we always know that um, what's fixed will always be fixed. What's variable is a variable that we're chasing. Mm. Yeah, so I think that's something I agree with and I think a lot of the listeners will, will agree with. Um, then let's shift towards the biggest accomplishment in your life. Like what do you think has been the biggest accomplishment in your life that has changed you, transformed you, that you just spoke about? Uh. I guess it's still another, it's still a long way to go. I'm still really, you know, 
in all honesty, I'm still in the process of discovering myself more, Jeremy. I'm not trying to become a saint, huh? Right in the in the aspect reaching nirvana or whatnot, but 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 I think there's still a lot more that uh, I think potential or in terms of finding the better me. All right, uh, so I'm in the process of that. So moving ahead, I I guess um, as a better person, as a better husband, as a better father eventually or as 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 a, uh, someone you know in terms of my role personally and also then a, a better person in, in my professional place where um, I make sure that when I work with my clients they get the best care if I can't help all right um, so for me this this core principle and value is that if I can't help this case be it um, not my expertise or be it um, I can't see this person, albeit um, I'm not what this person is looking for. I find the best next possible um, solution for this person. And I personally do that, right? So it's not like, oh, I can't see you, all right? You have to find someone else. But for me, it's I can't see you, but I'll make sure that, you know, you, you get that uh, next pos possible uh, help that you need. Yeah, so this is something that I, I, I continue to, um, to, to have you know, in my practice in my work, the professional front. Yeah. So, so if I can summarize the accomplishment, it's something that you have developed a role and passion in this work that you feel that it's more of a social responsibility, no longer as a business, and that's why you have that's this right. form of a, yeah. a, a generosity you want to give to people. Uh, that's right. So, in terms of the accomplishments, also, um, people come because they are referred because they hear about me. And uh, sometimes I joke with uh, business owners where people are coming to my practice because they hear of Winston Day. They don't hear because of Carrie's life works, right? So, which is a good thing as well because they, they, they go because they trust the practitioner or they trust the, uh, the, the, the expert in terms of what you can offer. So, I guess right now, uh, that is the accomplishment that I think uh, I, I do to, to feel that I've come to that place. Excellent. I mean, in my line of work, I would say, I'm not trying to say I'm amazing, but one thing that differentiates me that uh, I know for sure, this is a strength I know that I've uh, used and uh, utilized for me to uh, be the best version of myself and I'm beating the competition is that I really um, put in sincerity to understand the, the candidates I'm trying to help, the clients I'm trying to help. I think two steps ahead on the problems they will face. Uh, and other things that are not related to me, I actually try and solve as well. So that's why they also remember me as me. They don't remember my company. Anywhere I move, they will still call me on my mobile phone because they remember mm. the human being more than they remember the uh, company. My last question I wanted to ask you before we wrap this up is, I want you to imagine yourself on the street, you're walking and you meet a guy, 25 to 35. It could be a guy or a girl. They are struggling. Think of it as two scenarios. One is, he has everything he wants, but he's struggling. He, he hates his life. Um, or another situation where this guy, this guy or girl is between the age of 25 to 35, doesn't have anything, and is also suffering. What's the best advice you can give them uh, to help them to discover themselves? Whether they have everything or don't have everything, how can we help them? 
to the guy who has everything and is not happy. And to the guy who doesn't have anything and they're not happy. And I guess the question is, um, I'll ask this, where do they see themselves in the next five years? Or where do they see themselves in the next three years? Maybe sometimes they may be able to think that far. Um, so I think that's a good question because when you can look into the future, or rather when you can picture the future, it helps you to reflect on your present. Right? It helps you to reflect on the present. And um, for a guy who has everything, I guess a follow-up question would be, right? You know, what, 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 what excites you? What, 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 what motivates you? Right? And I think I would also ask this question to the person who doesn't have anything. Right? Because I guess sometimes we may misunderstand a person who's not successful. The person is okay. Maybe this person is not motivated. Maybe this person yes. is lazy. Yes. Uh, but you see, the thing is, they may not have the equal opportunities. And that's a very real fact, right? right? There are people who may not have equal opportunities. So sometimes we, when, when we don't have that, we always look at people who are, have better opportunities, better staff than us, and we wish we're in their position. Yes. But sometimes people who are there, right, they may just wish that life could be more simpler. So to me, really, the question is, let's look inwards. And let's find the inner me first. But can I so just... Like when I start, can, hmm. Sorry, I want to just add on. These people who are suffering and you meet them every day, I want to ask you, they tend to be myopic. Meaning you ask them, where do you see yourself in three years? They say, I don't know. I'm lost. Hmm. How hmm. do you cure this myopia? So they say they're lost. They say they don't know. So why do they not know? Right? Or what do they, or how do they view life? All right? Or what is the perspective of themselves? Do they see themselves weak? Do they see themselves strong? So sometimes, after a while, when uh, we are so, so human beings are expunged, right? So we are faced with negativity every day. We just absorb and absorb. And after a while, it becomes like, you know, when you squeeze this sponge, negativity just oozes out. Yes. So we are like that. Human beings are like that. You know? So I guess sometimes what really someone needs is right, they need someone to come along or something to come along to squeeze them as a sponge all this negativity out first so that we can restart again. So a person who's happy, who, who has got everything who's, 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 but who's not happy so clearly all these things are not happy to you are not enough for you. So what is your perspective of yourself? Yeah. So wow. when we have a clearer perspective of ourselves, I think there is a good start. So if I'm not happy I, and, and, and I, I, I don't have, uh, I have nothing and I'm not happy, but then that person also can have a very different perspective of himself. Wow. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. So you are willing to actually squeeze the sponge and listen to all that negativity instead of... Um, uh, another mindset which is to start throwing all kinds of positivity into them or start throwing solutions at them. That's right. Because when someone, when positivity is served on a platter to people, all right, different people receive that differently. 
But what if the positivity runs out? So how? But if we can start from within, where do we see ourselves? Right? And we anchor ourselves first from there. So it's like a ship, right? When your anchor is secure, no matter how big your ship. So just imagine, you know, that we are like this big tanker or big ship. But if your anchor is small, the ship will not be stable. But if your anchor is strong and is stable, you find it, right? No matter how big your ship, your cruise, your, 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 you know, your, your, uh, your liner is, right? You'll always be stable. So how you see yourself is very important, the self-perspective. So yes, I'm rich, I have everything I have, but I hate myself, I hate my life. But why? What is it about yourself that you hate so much? Or I've, I'm poor, I've got nothing, and I hate my life, I hate myself. So what is it about yourself that you don't like? So that's self-perspective. So if I work with an individual, I help them to find an inner me first. Rather than, yeah, I load you with positive stuff. I load you with, get you right all the way high. But you see, the thing is, the higher you are, sometimes the harder you fall. Wow. So, um, if I could just add on one question, because this is powerful. I think this is something amazing that's unraveling that uh, I hardly hear of. But can I ask you, for again, those people who are lost, 25 to 35, how do they find the anchor? Scientifically, or do you just give them a piece of paper and ask them to uh, write every day what they want to achieve? Or is there a solution to this? Is there a way you can teach them to find that anchor? Um, I guess a lot of self-reflection for a start. Like, was there a time in their life where they were happier? Things were less simpler? Or things were... Or when they were motivated, you know? And then what changed? Alright, and then what changed? Alright, so it could have been an event in their lives, disappointments and all. Um, and then from there, they developed their, their mindset or they developed yes. their message that I'm, I'm no good, I'm lousy. Yes. You know? Right? So I guess in my work... Um, I do a lot of these things with, with, with people, right? We reflect, we go to a time where all these things happen. So for someone to be able to, to say, I want to do something about it, like right now, I want to do something about my life. Okay. So maybe for a start, it's for them to reflect, to think back, was there a happier time? Was there things were more simpler? Or was there a time where they were more motivated? And what changed? So that is the very important thing. What changed? Yeah, so if we can find out what changed, then we won't turn back time, but then we can work on what changed, maybe to bring it back, all right, if it's positive, or if it's negative, to change it to then something that is more positive. Wow, that's powerful. I mean, I practice this every day, but I never knew how to put it into words. So when I'm struggling with something, I always think back on the things I did very well. I think one of the things I did well back in the day when I was with you in the Dragon Boat team, if you remember, um, I was always one of the, I was always the best at all the tests that we had. And anything that I was struggling today with, I just think back about that time when I was the peak. Mm. And then I try and think about if I could do that, what can I do today in this tough situation? So I do agree what Winston's saying is absolutely true. 
um, and I practice it every day. You just got to understand it. Um, Winston, I want to just check you, how does uh, my listeners find you and how can they be in contact with you? Um, how do they find me? Um, well, they can, they can always find Carrie's Lifeworks on, 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 online. Um, and um, in terms of, um, and I guess if they go online, they just Google Carrie's Lifeworks, you know, all the details will be there. And um, they will find a, mo- a clinic mobile number, but their clinic mobile number directly comes to me. So the first person they speak to will be me. Because again, um, this is something that I offer to um, a lot of my clients, um, even big organizations. And sometimes they ask me, you know, why are you the one picking up the phone call? Why is the boss picking up the phone call for the clinic? I say the reason why is because if I know who calls, I understand the, the issues better, right? Then I know the best help or the best, if it's my staff or if it's uh, someone else that I can refer out, then I know what is the best help that I can give to this person. Sure. Excellent. I mean, I believe in that as well. I wanted to just uh, share with everybody, Caris is spelled as C-H-A-R-I-S space Lifeworks is L-I-F-E-W-O-R-K-S. I will link everything on the... Um, on this podcast information and I'll also include Winston's name. Winston's name is uh, W-I-N-S-T-O-N space Tay, T-A-Y. I think if you Google him, I've tried it, you'll find his LinkedIn, you'll find Carrie's Life Works, you'll find his clinic links. So you'll definitely be able to find him. I want to say thanks very much, Winston. Thanks for your time. Thanks for sharing Thank all these with my me. listeners. Um, and I hope people will reach out to him. Um, he'll be more than keen to have a chat with you and uh, to help you. That's right. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for your time. Thank you.